Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Well, good evening, everybody. Happy New Year. I guess that's how you respond. It's the third day of the year. We're all happy New year out. We're all Christmas uh, out. We're glad, uh, glad, glad that school is starting back tomorrow. <laughs> amen and amen. This uh, uh, week, the, school, the kids started back to school uh, tomorrow. Sarah and I agreed that tomorrow I would come, or yesterday, excuse me, I would come to work, and today... She would go to work, so today uh, I stayed home with the kids, had a wonderful time, uh, but was echoing along with John, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. <laughs> it's real cold outside. Uh, have, have any of you had ice accumulate on your windshields? I had ice accumulate on my windshield. I didn't have an ice scraper uh, uh, on my cart, so I, I used one of those uh, 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 discount cards. You know, I only got 50% off. It, it brings me so much joy, those groans that you, that you give on those bad jokes. But last year we began this study asking this question, so you want to be like Christ? Do we really want to look like Christ? Do we want our lives to imitate the life that Jesus presented to us when he came. When we see Jesus in the New Testament, the fullness of God poured out into this one that everyone looked at and they saw nothing lovely in him. Few, few are they who throughout time have looked upon Jesus, either in person there in Israel or through the scriptures and have seen him as beautiful. Few have seen him as something really that they want to imitate. And yet we as Christians say, that's precisely what we want to do. We serve him. We love him. We want our lives to look like him. And so we've been going through this book written by Charles Swindoll, So You Want to Be Like Christ. And that's the question. There are eight essential disciplines that we've been looking at together to help us to look more like Christ. Eight disciplines that we're trying to cultivate in our lives. Eight disciplines that we're trying to study and uh, by the Spirit uh, cause to be fruitful in our lives. Uh, the first one that we looked at was intimacy. Cultivating that intimacy. Now, I feel the need to always remind you that in and of ourselves, our flesh... There are none of these disciplines that we can cultivate by ourselves in our lives uh, to accrue any type of righteousness on our own before the Lord. Okay? You know what you bring to the table. I know what I bring to the table. Sin. Right? We don't bring any righteousness to the table. But once we've been born again, God has created us for good works. He's created good works 
beforehand that we should walk in them. And part of the good work that God has created uh, for us to walk in is to uh, draw near to God, and he will draw near to us, to put to death the things of the flesh, and uh, by, the, by the Spirit, we're to put to death the things of the flesh. And the first discipline that we looked at was intimacy, drawing near to God, remembering what it was like when we first came to know the Lord Jesus, and making sure not to uh, uh, grow apathetic in our walk with him. We also looked at the discipline of simplicity, and the need of decluttering our lives, of silence and solitude. We've looked at surrender. And the last time we were together, we looked at the discipline of prayer. I would say that probably uh, the last time we were together looking at that, what a convicting time when we read about prayer in the Bible because we are greatly lacking in prayer. I say we to make me feel just a little bit better because I know for certain it's me. I'm lacking in prayer. It's not always my first spiritual knee-jerk reaction to the troubles that go on in my life, and yet the Scripture says that we are to be praying without ceasing. We look at the great darkness that's around us, and our answer ought to always be as believers like that little child who gets scared, reaching up, holding the hand of their dad. Well, as believers, prayer is us reaching up, praying, and letting him know that we put our trust in him and looking to him for guidance. And we're going to have an opportunity as a church this Sunday uh, during our solemn assembly, during our morning worship service, with all of the extras of our service taken away, just a, a sheet of paper in front of us as we sing songs together, as Brother Johnny leads us on piano, just us reading scripture together, praying together. Uh, this Sunday, I know, will be a great way to start off the year on a Sunday in prayer, but I, my prayer is for you that you have been praying uh, throughout this week and that this year would be a year that we would be a church that is a church that is that prioritizes and is filled with prayer. That this place would not be known just as a place where the gospel is proclaimed. It should be that, where the word is not compromised, but that we would be a house of prayer and a people of prayer. Well, we looked at that last time we were together, and this week we look at the discipline of humility. Humility. Humility is that great trait that we admire in others, but we rarely want for ourselves. We want to surround ourselves with people who are humble. Uh, we read this, if you're reading along in the book uh, with me, uh, Charles Swindoll said this, we like, to, we like to surround ourselves with people who are humble because they pose no threat to us. We admire humility in other people. But the cost is pretty high for anyone who wants to walk that road of humility. You're not bothered by much traffic if you walk that road of humility in your life. And this evening, I want us to see from Scripture the need for God's people for us to work hard throughout our day to meditate upon God's word, to look at Jesus and to make sure that we are people who are humble and who are filled with humility. So if you have your Bibles, our, 
Our go-to text this evening will be Philippians chapter 2. And I know that your Bibles will just naturally fall open to Philippians because we've been there for so long. And not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. Well, I guess you'll know this Sunday, our theme for the next year and the book that we're going to be going through this next year. So make sure you're here this Sunday for that. Philippians chapter 2. I want us to see uh, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to focus in primarily this evening just on verses 3 and 4, but let's see our context together. Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And let me pause here and remind you that this is the one that we are saying we want to look like. Let me remind you, believer, that the one that you want to look like, this is him that we're talking about. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. Even to the, as the Bible says, as a servant, even to the point of death on a cross, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we love you. We long to look like you. We long for our uh, uh, our lives to reflect that we have been changed by the blood of Jesus, that we have come from death to life, and that your spirit who resides in us is at work and molding us into the image of Jesus Christ. So let that be so this year, Lord Jesus. Let us look like you, not just imitate you, but by your spirit, would you remove those things in our lives that don't look like you and cultivate and deform more clearly those things that look like you, especially this evening as we look at this trait of humility. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, Jesus is who we want to look like. And if there is one trait that seems so abundant in his life, that seems so prominent, it is the trait of humility. And we, like uh, little kids uh, who have a, a sports uh, model that we want to look like, we want to model our lives after Jesus. He changed us. Right? We've been saved. We've been saved from our sins. We've been forgiven of our sins. 
We've been saved by Jesus, and we want to look like him. We want others, when they look at us, to see Jesus in us. We want others, when they look at us, to, to, uh, to, to see his great name. We want his name to receive glory. When, when I die, should I live a long life or should, should I live a, a very short life? I hope that people very quickly forget about me and who I was, but that someday if someone comes across my name, they may say, you know, I don't know who he was, but somehow I see that name and I just think of Jesus. I think of Jesus. That's what our lives are. That's what we want our lives to be about. We want our lives to be humble lives. I'm attracted to those people in my life. The people that I want to be friends with are those people who exude this trait of humility. Jesus did it so greatly. We see in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 2, we really see what is our motivation for being humble. Now, Paul uses this as a motivation for unity, but he ties unity and humility together in this chapter. These two, uh, where, where one goes, so goes the other. And so if we want to be a church that's unified, we have to continue to be a church that is uh, humble and uh, a church that's filled with humility. What is the motivation for humility? Well, Paul says it here in verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Is there any encouragement in Christ? You better believe it. He says, if there is any comfort from love. Have you not been comforted by that great love that Jesus has poured out upon you? That though we were undeserving of his love, he did not hold it back. He did not give it begrudgingly, but he opened his vast storehouses of heaven and poured out his infinite love upon you. Have you not felt that comfort from Jesus this year as you've begun a new year? Have you not felt that participation of the Spirit when you and your flesh want to react to the things of this world and the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you and convicts you of your sin and produces in you that fruit of the Spirit? Is there any participation in the Spirit? Is there any affection? Is there any sympathy? Well, to all of us who have followed Jesus for any amount of time, the answer is a resounding yes. What is our motivation for humility? Well, if there's any motivation in any of these things, in who Jesus is and what he's done, Paul says, perform this for me. Do this for me. If, if all of these things are true, if you have all of this love and comfort, if you have all of this sympathy and affection and participation in the Spirit, if all of this is true, then you ought to be unified as a church. And he ties this with humility. The motivation here is what Christ has done for us. But what is the method? How do we do that? I think we see that in verse 3 and verse 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Church, if you want to look like Christ, you're going to have to be humble. You're going to have to cultivate humility. Humility is not a trait that you're going to be good at overnight. It's not a trait that you will ever truly acknowledge that you're good at. Maybe you've heard 
Uh, people say uh, jokingly when we talk about humility, well, I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> well, immediately that makes them the most not humble person in the room. Uh, humility is a trait that we ought to have. Paul here tells us how we may have it, how we may practice true biblical humility. And he's going to share with us later even more so how we can gaze upon Jesus, see it in him, and reflect that. But if you want to be humble, let me give you just a couple of uh, observations from Scripture and from our passage today. If you want to be filled with humility, then number one, there's some things you need to avoid. There's some things you need to avoid. Verse three, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition. First thing you're going to need to avoid is selfishness. Now, in the Greek, the word uh, do is not even here. The, the word is actually nothing selfish. Uh, it's, uh, it's parent shorthand to the child who you're trying to hurry up and get something across. Nothing selfish. Uh, Paul is telling here that believers should be people who are not selfish, but who are selfless. We live in a very selfish world, don't we? We live in a very selfish society. Uh, you can tell that we live in a selfish society by complaints. Complaints are always voiced by people who feel as if they have earned and deserve better. God's people are the best at that. We've been known for that. We, not you, we have been known for that uh, throughout biblical history. God's people having been saved by God out of their oppressor, Pharaoh, and the slavery of Egypt, have been saved by his miraculous hand. They're brought out uh, to the Red Sea. God opens it for them. He brings them through to the other side. He brings that same Red Sea down upon those who are pursuing them. Out of all the miracles they saw, what is their response when they hear their tummy rumble just a little bit in the wilderness? Complaining. Complaining is the, uh, it's the lyrics of the selfish. So next time that you begin to uh, complain, just remember those are the lyrics. That's the tune of the selfish. We live in a selfish society. Uh, a leading cause in death today in the world is death by selfie. Did you know that? Death by selfie. In July of 2021, a Chinese crane operator fell nearly 200 feet to her death while filming a video, video for her 100,000 followers on social media. It didn't matter how much those people liked, commented, or subscribed because that day as she was trying to get the perfect shot, she lost her life. That same month, the 23-year-old 23, 23 hiker, Sophia, plunged to her death while taking selfies at the edge of a waterfall in Hong Kong. In the year 2017, over 100 people died while trying to get that perfect shot. Trying to get that selfie, trying to get that perfect picture. Selfishness is destructive, isn't it? And you know... Selfishness is even in the church. It's me first, my preferences, my wants. 
Now, I, I, I really uh, struggle with, I'm going to be honest with you, with towing the line here between us communicating our desires to one another. You know, when, when something's going on in your life or something's going on in the church and you want to communicate with one another, well, you know, I like this. Well, you know, we ought to want to hear that, right? We all have preferences. God gave us our own preferences. We ought to all want to hear that. We ought to all want to hear what your preferences are and yield to one another. I struggle between the line of listening and understanding and saying, hey, we all ought to do that. And then at the same time, encouraging you that though God has given you preferences, we ought not to be selfish. We ought to be selfless. Very often in the church, our preferences turn into our priorities. I want what I want. I want it now. And what I want is more important than what you want. It should not be the case. I could give you a dozen practical applications of that of where preferences in the church or in your own life should not be a priority over others. You and I are not any more important than anyone else in this room, right? We ought to seek to be selfless, uh, to get rid of the me first and my preferences. Uh, Skip Heitzig, a preacher that I like to listen to, says, the more you do as you please, the less you are pleased with what you do. Let me say that again. The more you do as you please, the less you are pleased with what you do. Paul says, nothing selfish. If you want to be humble, there's some things you're going to have to avoid, and one of those is selfishness. James chapter 3 in verses 13 through 16 James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Got a lot of wise and understanding brothers and sisters in this room. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Some of the first problems that arose in the church arose over certain selfishness. Well, I deserve this. These people aren't getting this. These people deserve this. We as God's people ought to be selfless, not Selfish. Well, you're going to have to avoid selfishness if you want to travel that high road of humility. But there's another thing you're going to want to avoid. Look with me again in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That word in the Greek means vain or empty glory. It's puffed up with no substance. In a word, it's pride. Now, we're trying to distinguish between selfishness, which we just brought up, and pride. Let me uh, see if I can make that uh, uh, difference for you today, if I can distinguish it for you. It's the difference between insistence and entitlement. Selfishness says, I want it my way. Pride says, it ought to be my way. Right? 
Selfishness says, me first. Pride says, I am first and foremost. And it ought to be. Really, selfishness stems from pride. Pride is dangerous. Pride is the great enemy of mankind. Seizing that opportunity, Adam and Eve gladly reversed the created order. You remember those, that account in Genesis chapters 1 and 2? God created everything at the end of each day. What does God say over his creation? And it was good. First day, it was good. Second day, it was good. Until the sixth day, when he creates Adam and Eve, and he says, it is very good. He's made man in his own image. Everything is great. He creates the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to be in. Everything is good. He's given them one rule. Do not eat from that tree. Do not eat that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with one bite, they reverse the entire created order. Here is God above his creation, creating it all, saying it's good. And here's Adam and Eve saying... I want it my way. It deserves to be my way. I ought to be the one in charge. Instead of exercising the authority over the creation that God had given us, we wanted to exercise authority over the one who gave us the authority. And ever since then in the garden up until now, pride has been most dangerous for mankind. Taylor Coleridge and Robert Southey right in 1799 in a poem, and the devil did grin for his darling sin is pride that apes humility. If you want to walk that high highway of humility where so few people travel, where there is only one who has truly blazed the trail before us, then you need to not only avoid selfishness, but you ought to avoid Pride. The Bible repeatedly warns mankind about pride all throughout the Bible. New Testament, Old Testament. The, the feeling of superiority, the feeling of my way, and it ought to be my way. It's, it's, a, it's so dangerous for the believer because what we believe about Jesus is that he is the greatest and it ought to be his way. We were created in his image, by the way, right? From first to last, everything glorifies the name of Jesus and pride seeks to take away from the name of Jesus and put it on something that's far less appealing, right? Taking from what is the greatest and we're not even talking about the difference between goals, or gold and fool's gold. We're, ta we're talking, not even talking the difference between the rarest and most beautiful diamond and a speck of dirt. We're talking about the infinite, holy, omnipotent God and us fallen man. And pride is us saying, we want the glory. We want the spotlight. We deserve it. But the gospel robs us of that, doesn't it? The gospel reminds you and I that although God created us in his image, we have sinned. We have fallen short. We 
by our own merit, deserve nothing but death and hell and separation from God forever and ever. Pride is warned against in the scripture. James says in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God gives more grace. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, the Bible says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What about Proverbs eleven two? When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs sixteen five. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. What about Proverbs sixteen verse eighteen? You know this one. Pride goes before. Ooh. Pride goes before destruction. And the haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, my dear friends, pride is what comes natural to our fallen flesh. But as believers, we ought to avoid that pride. We ought to lay it to the side. We ought to flee from it. There are some things that we need to avoid if we're going to be humble people who are filled with humility. We're to avoid selfishness. We're to avoid pride. But I want you to know that there are some priorities that we ought to embrace. Look with me in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Uh, really, the distinguishing mark of a believer, Jesus says, is our love for one another. Everyone will know that we belong to him by our love for one another. The Bible gives us a competition, actually. Paul tells us in Romans, outdo one another in showing honor. It, it ought to be almost sickening to the unbeliever when they walk into church, right? No, you take this seat. No, no, you have... As a matter of fact, this Sunday, if you want to say, no, you take the front row. Yeah, no, you take the I want you to have the best seat in the house, right? There's no one on the front row. Even here on prayer meeting night, there's no one in the front row, right? But we always ought to be, listen, yeah, the back row is what everybody wants, right? No one offer up your seat on the back row. Let's push everyone to the front row, okay? But it almost ought to be sickening to the unbeliever. Man, those people love one another, they ought to come in and say, if they're going to be put off by us, it shouldn't be about like they wouldn't let me have that seat. It was they insisted that I take the better seat, right? These people are sickening. They love one another so much, they want the other person to have the benefit. They want the other person to have the preference. Uh, th these believers are like star-crossed lovers. They just, they want the other person to have the benefit. They're always looking for the best in that other person. They're not, they're not gossiping about one another. They long for others to be better off than the other. They long to show honor towards one another. Paul says, but in humility, you should count others as more significant than yourself. I told you this story this past year about Max and Marvin. They competed in the Special Olympics in May of 2016. 
in the 50-meter dash. Well, the gun went off for the race to begin, and Max got out to an early lead until he noticed that Marvin was trailing far behind. As the crowd cheered for Max to extend his lead to win the race, he noticed that Marvin had fallen behind, and he stopped running, went back and grabbed his friend's hand, and he crossed the finish line with him in last place. You know, Max lost the competition, but when you think about it, didn't he win the race? He thought about others as more important than himself. If you and I are to be people who are humble, who are filled with humility, we ought to embrace one another. We ought to have preference for one another. In every aspect of our lives, that ought to be our preference. Others, others, others. But in humility, count others as more important or more significant than yourselves. But humility does not deny yourself. Look at me in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You know what fake humility is? Fake humility is uh, this fake desire that everyone else does better, and I'm just this poor, terrible, like, have you heard people with the fake humility who just always talk bad about themselves and never talk, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe me, I don't know. <laughs> humility is not self-neglect. It's not neglecting yourself altogether. It's not self-degrading. But it's seeing yourself properly. I can care for others and see others as more important than myself and desire to take care of them while also doing my biblical responsibility and taking care of me and of my family. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I mentioned this earlier this year from a, a quote from the book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says this, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud and a biggish step, too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. C.S. Lewis has a way of just saying those things. Humility is not that you don't think of yourself at all necessarily. It's that you think more of others. You give preference to others. The most humble people that we really know in our lives have no idea that they are humble. They just see themselves properly. 
And you and I, if we want to be people who are filled with humility, we ought to do the same. We ought to prefer others. Well, if there are, if you want to be humility, if you want to look like Christ, we've seen the motivation day in verses 1 and 2. We've seen the method in verses 3 and 4. And then the rest of the chapter really gives us the model. You know, I, there, may, there may have been things that leaders ask us to do that they don't always do perfectly. But the Bible tells us of Jesus that he is not only the author of our race, that we're running, but he is the perfecter of the race of faith. He ran it perfectly. And we see that in these few verses in Philippians that sum up so much of what he did in the gospel. That Jesus emptied himself and he took on our flesh. He never once ceased being God. You know that, right? When Jesus was born and laid in that manger, he was God. That baby, God. But Jesus humbled himself. He took on this form of a servant. He, even in the garden, when praying, Lord, he said, if, I can, if this cup can pass, let it be. But if not, Lord, let your will be done, right? Jesus not only tells us to be humble, but he shows us the most grand humility. If he can step down from heaven's throne and leave the praises of heaven and the beauty and the wonderfulness of heaven, and he can take on our flesh and our sicknesses and our sorrows, and he can bear with us, if he can, out of obedience to the Father, in his sinless perfection, go to the cross and die in our place. The most gruesome and embarrassing of deaths. Then what, what is it that you can't step down from? What is it that you're too proud to step down from? If Jesus took so great, great a step, what is, what is the step that's too big for you to step down from today? Well, you, don't, you just don't want the other person in your life to be right? <laughs> We're okay with us following Jesus, but following other people can be difficult because they're fallen, right? What are those steps that are too big for you to take the step down? And I just want to encourage you, compare that with what Jesus did. Jesus exemplified humility for us. So what's your excuse? So you want to look like Christ. Well, my friends, I suggest to you today, humility, humility is the way for us to look like Christ. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.